0: Good morning everyone this morning uh, I'm reading from Ephesians uh, chapter 5 uh, verse 22 through to chapter 6 verse 15 or verse 16 this is entitled wives and husbands uh, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, firm up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and her shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace.
1: Thanks Brad. We were um, only supposed to read to verse 9 today, but I believe that God must have had a reason for that. So you can get a peek next week. So that's probably my fault. Maybe there's a typo or something there. But it's encouragement to read ahead. Those of you who don't know me, my name's Andrew. Um, and um, it's my pleasure to pastor here and to lead you in the word this morning. But I thought it might be a good idea. We have been sitting for a little while. Stand up and stretch or turn around or do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel a little bit limbered up. Tell yourself, mind... Please be open to the word for the next 20 minutes. Tell that to the person next to you. Holy Spirit, we desire that you speak to us. Let's take a seat. Now, if we've been um, looking at Ephesians for a while. Um, as some of you know, as most of you might probably know, And it's been an encouraging letter. It's um, been really encouraging, but it's also been challenging in some parts as well. It's actually pushed us a little bit after encouraging us. For the church in Ephesus, it was probably seen as exactly the same as as we might have taken it. Of course, they would have heard Paul's words a little bit differently than we would. Um, Probably greater emotion, kind of relationship with him. Um, In the context they were in, they knew that he understood their particular context and and so it would have had a lot of depth and a lot of meaning to them but we also talked about it being inspired by God so it has meaning for us as well we've been encouraged by the riches we have in Christ that they're abundant that they're solid that they're fixed that they're good right riches come with responsibilities we we know that and the thrust is that that, that the thrust of the letter is that God would be made known amongst the gentiles in the world And that should start in Ephesus, that could and that would be possible and is possible right where they are, despite the struggles that they were going through. His character through his people in Ephesus, through his church, through the followers of the way. And Paul knows that this is possible. It's not an impossible ask. It's possible because God doesn't start something that he's not able to do or not able to finish. So his words to the church in Ephesus were to inject hope. Uh, to give them courage, to to build their faith and to turn them into believers that would change the society they were in. And that's still true. God still wants to do that today. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal his character and, and how he relates to his people, to his church, which is us, which is the church. We are the church. And how he speaks to the world through us. And the last verse, verse 21, was submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's almost introducing what he's about to talk about. Placing ourselves under others, preferring others. And Paul now expands on that idea a little bit. What is life with God? What does a relationship with God look like? If you were watching it, what relationships has God given us that reveal something of his relationship with the church or with us? What relationships has he given us? Do they reflect our own relationship with God or or what do they reveal to the world around us of his relationship with us? Today we have that really well-known section of Ephesians that has probably been preached so many angles probably, it's been taken from so many angles than we can imagine. And you could actually cherry pick this section of Ephesians and there's a whole lot in here and you could preach for a month just on this section. There's a whole lot of ways to look at it and ways to talk about it and that would be really good. But we're going to look at it in the context that we've been looking at the whole letter. Remember I said last week that it's actually a whole letter, even though we only see bits of it every week and there's a bit of a gap, we need to see that this was probably read in one Run One go to the people in Ephesus. So they connected chapter 1 with chapter 6. It all mattered because it was all being read at the same time. And so they knew what's the general message that Paul is trying to speak to us about. And we want to look at this section in that context. How? Where does it fit? Why? How does that fit into that riches and responsibilities? You see, the Ephesian church, how were their lives and their relationships going to reflect God. That was to be their responsibility. That's what Paul's been talking about since the start of chapter 4. Relationships that God has given us are to reflect his relationship with us. Think about that for a minute. Not just marriage, but relationships that you have. They're supposed to reflect something of his relationship with us and with the church. And we've seen this he's talked about unity he's talked about you know you need to work together in a church you need to understand yourself you need to you know watch how you live and reflect well to the world around us we've seen that as we've looked through that because our relationships are a testimony to God's relationship with us and there's a couple of relationships that Paul mentions here isn't it there? there's a few relationships but it begins with the relationship that potentially most mirrors, or it's meant to anyway, God's relationship with his people. Marriage. This is a relationship that is most supposed to uh, reflect or, or show the world what his relationship with us is like. Marriage is the relationship that God's given us that most closely mirrors his with us. It's the closest kind of relationship we have. It's the most intimate kind of relationship we have it's one of the most, the highest impact relationships that we'll have in our lives and God intends this relationship he's given us this relationship to show the world how he relates with us and how we can relate or should relate with him when people see us in this relationship in marriage they can identify and they can know what God's love looks like and how to relate to God what his relationship is like with us. So when they look at our marriages, when they look at the way we we are in marriage, they begin to see, ah, that's how God connects with us as humans, with his church. That's how God relates with us. See, marriage is a special relationship, more so than any other. It's a God-ordained relationship. And even we as humans, we give it much more emphasis than other relationships, don't we? It's the relationship that we organize this humongous party for and gather even non-christians hold wedding ceremonies we don't do that kind of thing for other relationships if i want to be your friend we're not going to get everyone together i'm not going to spend thousands on a suit or a dress or something say let's be friends and let's let everyone witness we'd be going to endless parties wouldn't we something good about that too so we know that it's a significant and i believe that god intended that Even if non Christians don't recognize that, I believe that it's a significant relationship, and somewhere in all of our hearts, we know that. We know that it's meant to be more significant than other relationships. And so, God is saying, Look at marriage the way I designed it, and that's how you can tell that I love you. And it's also how yourself under, where Paul talked about in verse 21 placing yourself under someone else by seeing it in action in the marriage relationship. And that's why Paul's emphasising this. Remember the entirety of the book? The Ephesians are to be a witness. They're to draw people to Christ, even in the midst of a wicked society. And what better way than the good marriage relationship to show what God looks like to the world? And the two main themes... um, Well, there's two main themes. You know, the, the modern world, this might be... a contentious part of scripture and there's so much if you want to google this part of scripture and see lots of different opinions you'd be busy for a couple of days at least you know it's a contentious section of scripture the two main themes we see there there are other themes we like i said we could preach more on it but the two main things we see are submission and love and seemingly the text plants one of them at the feet of one gender and one of them at the feet of the other Depending on where you listen, there are, and who you listen to, there are two main opinions or extremes when you listen or read how people respond to this. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, Africa would be one extreme. A couple of years ago, Hope Builders had sent me to. Um, Look at the viability of a project in another region and I went with, the, with one or two of the guys from our village and we, we landed in this, got to this village and we were taken into the pastor's house with some of his, pastor and some of his men and we were taken in and we sat in the living room and, and the pastor's wife came and served us this wonderful meal, you don't do anything in Uganda until you've eaten first. Served us this wonderful meal and, and we, we ate and we sat around and, and I think some other lady served us as well. And we got back in the car and we're driving to the... We had to do something at this land and we're driving to there and these guys are having a wonderful conversation, these African guys. They're saying, isn't it wonderful? Pastor, your wife is amazing. That's what all women should do. They're supposed to serve us because we're important and we're doing this. And, and it's so sad to see that young women in African society are starting to not do that and not submit and we need them to submit and i'm sitting in the should i say anything will i get a ride home if i do you know because they hadn't read past verse 24 they haven't read hadn't read past the... you know so there's that angle and that that's very alive in a lot of places but then there's also the the feminist angle isn't there the the outrage you know that would no way we don't we don't need to submit and and as women we we're strong we're burning the bra and we're doing whatever we and the concept of being submiss or being subject is, is almost a bad thing it's almost a, a swear word and so you get this power play don't you and it becomes about holding positions or status it becomes about it's beginning to do, you know for me to submit that defines something about me and and it's become something that's used as a power play isn't it and as for loving let well, become for ourselves only in the world isn't it we only really love ourselves really sacrificially don't we Or occasionally we will love someone sacrificially, but it'll be conditional. You know, I'm happy to love my wife sacrificially if she has dinner on the table every night when I get home. Or I'm happy to love my wife if it becomes conditional. And that's how we begin to define it. A little little awareness thing in this section of Scripture. The subject of submission gets 3.5 verses of attention. The subject of love gets 8.5. That might be a bit of a tip for us to see. So does or how does a healthy marriage or show us how we should relate? Does the way that we, you know, you and I, relate in marriage, does that reflect the way that God relates to us? Think about your marriage. Is there a reflection there of how God relates to us? Can we see... How God loves us through our spouse. Think of your spouse. Can you see the way that God loves us through your spouse? Are The ways we see God in our marriages. I was keen to figure this out. So um, I asked a number of people. I did a little bit of a survey and I sent it out to a number of couples in our church. And um, not all of them, but I sent out a number of, and I sent out three questions. And the three questions were, when or how do you know that your spouse really loves you? How can you tell or what do they do? The second question was, when or how do you think your spouse knows that you love them? How can they tell? And the third question was, what do you think submission looks like in marriage? That was a biggie. And I have to confess that I didn't expect to receive as many responses as I did. Maybe that says something about the way I see you guys. But I did get a bunch of responses and I'm actually super impressed by how God has blessed us with so many great marriages and families in this church. Now, I'm not going to read all of the responses, or at least I'm not going to read them in entirety, but I'm going to read part of the responses. And um, I apologise if it's a a little bit long, but I thought, how do I cut it down? I I thought, I can't really. So you might, there are only parts of some of the responses, but... They're great. And then the first question is, when... Or, and what I want you to do is, when I'm reading these responses out, if, you, if it helps you close your eyes, I want you to think about, does God do that kind of thing to me, to us? Okay. When or how do you know that your spouse loves you? How can you tell? Number one, daily, consistent acts of love where he makes an effort to put my needs first even if it means he has to sacrifice his convenience, comfort or desire. That's a nice one, isn't it? My wife's willing sacrifice to put my interests ahead of or equal with hers. By telling me, by being by my side through good and bad times, by action, service, treatment of me, by knowing my love language. Anyone done the love languages? Another one. She tells me every single day. Brilliant. Another one, when he gets home from work and he stops to chat about our day and he helps to cook dinner. Ladies, there's a man for you. Another one, well, he's put up with me for 50 plus years. (laughs) Another one, the times I need forgiving, he has forgiven me and has acted like Christ to me. It's a good one. Another one, he forgives me, it doesn't matter how big the mistake, and he accepts me as I am, even though I might have changed to be a different person from the first time he fell in love with me. That is sweet. Being faithful, consistent, and always being there through good and bad. Yet, good and bad times, yet still enjoying doing things together as a couple. Here's another one. Through the most important of love languages, the sixth. Cooking and baking yummy food for me. <laughs> the many things she does for me in the family that she doesn't need to do. Her honesty and integrity. Here's a good one I like. A hug and a glass of wine or a cup of tea at the end of the day. Acts of service when their actions follow their words. Here's one. She refers to me as hun or babe and how she tries to put my needs first over her own. Another one, when she prepares my lunchbox in the evening and when I have my lunch the following day in the office, he thinks of his wife. How lovely is that? He always calls me during his lunch break, I go out. That's you guys. That's our marriages. So, when or how does your spouse know that you love them? Well, how can they tell? Well, when I sacrifice something I like doing in order to spend more time with her. Choosing to cheerfully look after the baby for an extra the footy and have a fun night after a week of work. That's sacrifice. By noticing what he does well and affirming him in it. Filling in forms online, which she hates, but I can manage well. Making a coffee every morning just the way she likes it and words of appreciation... When I sit next to him, because Lovely. When the interaction with my family of origin is important to him as contact with his own family. That's a really good one. How I listen and follow his leadership as my husband. When we celebrate different times in life, there's a sense my spouse really appreciates me being there and being part of making it happen. That's really cool. By connecting with her, listening to her, and talking through her struggles... Telling her regularly of the things I love, in, I love in and about her. Affirming them and telling them how they're valued. How I push her to go out of her comfort zone so she can accomplish more than she believes that she could. Here's one. Ask it. For instance, how do you do screenshots? Why can't I print? Where are my photos gone? Why does my iPhone not do that? And I help anyway. Love that one. Isn't it amazing how we just show love, how we can really show love to somebody? And God doesn't have an iPhone, but there's a characteristic in there, there's a value in there, isn't there? And what does submission look like in marriage? I'll read a couple of these. A team effort, husband as captain, both working together, both sacrificing for each other. But the husband is overall responsible for how it works. Basically, both husband and wife should be Jesus to the other. We can discuss and disagree on issues, but at the end of the day, I respect his decisions for the family and I support him in it. And even if it doesn't go well, we work as a team through it rather than me saying, I told you so. Being a partnership and submitting to each other, not always thinking you're right. I usually are. am. No, it's not true. The man is ultimately the head of the house, but always like Christ is the head of the church. Submission means putting the needs and wants of someone else before your own. Depending on the nature and gravity of the decision, we've chosen the opinion of the spouse who is more invested, gifted or involved. And when the decision has deep consequences for our life, we've followed the biblical instruction where the husband is to reflect the headship of Christ over the church. I know that my husband is head of the family and this is the grounds of my submission to him. With the faith and understanding that he is the one who submits first to Christ, our Lord. It's a willingness to be transformed into someone who can work best as you can in and for the sake of the relationship. To acknowledge when someone's superior in that area and let them take the lead but still work with them. It doesn't just mean to obey them fully in everything. Knowing when it's the best time for your marriage, for you to sacrifice your thoughts, desires and directions, especially when you believe that your way is the right one. A wife submitting to her husband is the greatest act of love and respect towards the husband that she can give. Working in a way that helps each other flourish. Having the realisation that your world doesn't revolve around you anymore or your actions or thoughts or words because they, your words and deeds do reflect on them too. And because I continue to show transparency in my decision-making process and being honest with my mistakes, my family trusts me and submits to my leadership. In this regard, their act of submission makes me want to look after them more and more and care for them even more. Some of the reflections. They're not all of the reflections and you might have heard some of yours in there and you might have thought, oh, I wrote something else and they missed that. Isn't it encouraging? How blessed are we at One Hope to have relationships like that? Seriously. You know, you've just heard it now, but i got a long time to reflect on that. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. You know, now I recognise that when we write those responses, we write them thinking about that's really the right response. But we genuinely believe it. I'm not suggesting we always do it that well. Like I don't always love my wife that well. I don't always help her figure out how to do screenshots. That wasn't my wife, by the way, <laughs> you know. And I don't always cheerfully do this or that, and I recognize that we don't always cheerfully do that. But we know that that's what God calls us to do, and we know that our efforts are to live like that. What are the common things? Pretty much all the five langu- love languages are there, actually. We've got a sixth as well, didn't we? Words of affirmation. There was quality time in there. There was physical touch in there. There was acts of service in there. There was receiving gifts. There was listening. There was showing interest. There was care. There was sacrifice. There was a prioritising of the other. There was some unconditional love. There was an attentiveness, a meeting desires. And so when we think exactly those things for us that he's attentive to us, that, that he's, he's, he, he, the greatest act of service ever we received was through Christ himself, that he meets our desires, that his love is unconditional, that he's attentive, that he listens to us, he wants to communicate with us. He and he gave us the greatest gift we could ever receive. So all those things we see in our marriage relationship, we see in Christ, don't we? And these things, if we have them in our relationship, like one of those examples, they make submission easier, don't they? They make glad submission a little bit easier because there's a growing trust and a trust in leadership and a confidence being led. When we think of submission to God, how much more is that the case? How much more can we trust Him? How much more can we gladly submit to Him and, and come under His leadership? How much more can we gladly say, Yes, I, I will do it. We'll do it your way. When we recognise what he did for us, is admired even by the world. You know, there's a, I can't remember who it is, there's a couple of um, Hollywood celebrities, there's one or two that have, been, have marriages that are longer than 20 years or something like that, which is just an, an eternity in Hollywood. But occasionally you read about them and they're stunned and they're saying, how amazing that this marriage has lasted so long. The world recognises good marriages. But marriage is under attack. And if good marriages are attractive, then God's plan to use them to showcase His relationship with mankind is incredibly clever and incredibly wise. He gave us marriage that was so smart because He wanted it to be a place that the world would see this is what God's relationship with us is like. So, how we do marriage matters. It does. If you look carefully, there's submission necessary for both and mutual surrender, and that's important. As husbands, in order to love the way that we're commanded to, we first need to submit to Christ as our head. And we need to surrender our will and our desire and our well-being in preference for our wives because we're submitted to Christ who did the same for us. Men, how we love sacrificially really does matter. We're to imitate Christ. And wives, we recognise the headship of Christ in our homes and that that's represented in our husbands. We know that that's biblical. So we're actually recognising and submitting to Christ in our homes, but we see it in our husbands. So we submit to that and we surrender our will. Wives, how we respect and submit does matter too. Husband and wives, our agenda must be each other, not ourselves. It's become a power play or a tool to to abuse or to push a personal agenda. Well, Christ, as the example, he came fully submitted to his Father. His agenda was us, was me, was you. His will was laid aside for us. His love for us caused him to sacrifice all. And that's what we're to do. With our partners. So when we heed Paul's advice, our marriages are actually a gospel display, aren't they? Essentially, this relationship, marriage, is a reenactment of the gospel message. A husband mimics Jesus in his love and self sacrifice. And it's unconditional. And like I said before, it's not an excuse. If she doesn't do this, I don't I love her. Or the wife says, well, if he doesn't do that, I don't need to submit to him. But the husband mimics Jesus in his love and unconditional. Self-sacrifice. Spurgeon used these words, and I don't have it on the screen, but it's only a short one. We have a saviour who loved not because there was loveliness in his church, but in order to make her lovely. Think about that in the relationship, men, if you apply that. As a husband, we don't love because our wives are always lovely to us. But we love in order to make them lovely before Christ. A wife mimics the church by allowing Jesus to marriage. The two become one. And Paul says that in verse 31. And this also mimics the gospel in the way that we have now become one with Christ through his sacrifice and love. As a husband and wife become one through mutual submission and love, we've become one with Christ because of his love for us and our submission to him. And maybe, whilst perhaps from our perspective, a human perspective, marriage is for us. We get to build our marriage, enjoy our marriage, and all that sort of stuff. It's pretty clear, if we read Paul's letter as a whole, it's pretty clear that God's intent is that one of its functions is to serve as an example of his relationship with the world, with the church. So whilst we're not perfect in our marriages, in love, or in submission, and how those play out in our marriages, we know that if we lose it for a bit, if we, we don't get all these lists of things right all the time, we know that we can look to our Father in heaven, we know that we can look to Jesus Christ, our Saviour, where these things are perfected. And what's more, they are perfected for us, for you and me. So what if you're not married? If you're sitting here thinking, well, that was great, 20, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I'm not married. There are other ways or relationships that God uses to show the world how healthy relationships reflect his character. And there's a couple of other ones there, isn't there? Children's and parents and, let's say, employee and employer. And these two profile submission, but they use other words. They use words like obedience and honour. But in both, we see that same two-way relationship. Kids, obey. You're called to submit and to obey. They're all out right now, so you can tell them I said that. But parents don't provoke. Don't abuse your position. You know, a kid's submission is also based on a loving, sacrificial and caring parent. Parents, we're showing the world how Christ raises us. The way we raise our kids. Same thing, Paul's saying this is a display for the world. The way that parents and kids interact with each other. Employees. Honour and obey, do the right thing in your work. Serve well and honestly because you're reflecting Christ if you say you belong to him. But employers don't abuse, don't use, don't do things that you shouldn't do as an employer because you see obedience and submission is actually facilitated when employees feel valued. It's that whole servant master thing, isn't it? And again, in both, as parents or kids or employees and employers, we recognise that we're all called to submit to Christ as our head. There are other relationships that will display to the world what Christ's relationship with us looks like. So why is this here in Ephesians? Again, Paul wants the Ephesian church to be a beacon of light. Despite the darkness and the challenges, God has given them all they need. We found that out in chapter 1. Ephesus is watching. What does the way look like? In the way that they interact with each other, where they serve, they worship, they work together, they interact their lives together, in the way that they engage with the world and society, what they allow into their lives, what they allow to happen around them. And what does a relationship with the God of the way of the gospel look like? Well, Paul says we've been given a unique relationship. That's to reflect just that to the people observing and the people asking. Ephesus is watching, Paul says. But to us, he says, our world is watching. Do we have the answers to those same questions? And the world is saying, what does a relationship with God look like? Does our relationship give the answer?